Welcome to the next episode of the podcast. We're today recording a very, very special edition for Vital Foods Europe. This is linked to the educational program and the presentation we'll be delivering while we're there. In this podcast, we cover how the modern B2B buyer has changed and continues to evolve. 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 Evolve, evolve, yes. As usual, I've got uh, Mr. Matt Smith with me. Hello. um, CEO of BDB. I saw a stat the other day. Okay. I love a good statistic. Tell me about Um, it. 10.3 billion Google searches there is every single month now. Okay. Which is a hell of a lot. Hell of a number. I think the B2B buyer is more closer to the B2C buyer than ever before. Yep. And I think when you start to look at statistics, um, trends, mm-hmm. the what's coming out is actually dictating that to us. Yeah. No, I think I think certainly to a great extent. I think for me it starts with I say the the modern B2B buyer is certainly more aligned with their B2C kind of experience and they want to mirror the B2C experience they have in the B2B world more more often than not. Um, and I think that leads to particularly with the, certain the clients that we look at, kind of a real misalignment between their sales process and, and kind of the, the modern buyer's process that they go through when making a selection of a brand or a product or who they want to want to engage with. Yeah, I think that their sort of informal research is done a hell of a lot earlier and is integral to their decision. I went to a really good uh, presentation in Ghent uh, last year or early this year. The dates all blur into one now. Um, and they, they referenced the start of how many people are referencing that the, the, the sales cycle is becoming an awful lot shorter in B2B. Um, and in fact, when you actually break it down, it's not. It's just the fact that the buyer's part of that journey and how far they take it before they get towards the kind of validation and choice stage of the buying process um, has extended so much more. So mm. then the, the, the kind of the desire of the buyer to kind of do their initial re- research, recognize an opportunity, um, and then, you know, comparison of different, evaluating the options, comparison of different options available to them, validating that, and then making that decision to actually physically make that purchase yeah. is a long process. Yeah. So I mean, they've, they've probably done 80% of the legwork for four. I mean, some companies would say even the, the old B2B buyer was a longer process. I mean, let's kind of evaluate how that would look five yeah. or ten years ago, or if even, oh yeah, five or ten years ago, you'd have marketing campaigns online and offline, yeah, to an, probably more offline to online to an extent. Yeah, you'd have a big sales force or a small sales force, depending on the size of your company, and salespeople reaching out trying to cold call businesses to get I, in there. I think that's critical. There'd be a, there'd be an awful lot more um, courting of the opportunity through the sales process. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, I'm not saying death of the salesman. Certainly, that isn't the case because you're still ultimately buying from that guy who you make the connection with, who engages with you best. However, that kind of old school sales approach of Nurture, trying to get past the gatekeeper. Nurturing a lead, getting in there with them, taking them out, winding and dining them. There's still always a place for this. I'm not debating that. But I would argue now more and more and more, the B2B, the modern B2B buyer, probably pretty much made the decision they want to buy from you by the time they engage with you. Yeah, I think the new approach really is, say, for example, um, I don't know, Mike, at a, a, a particular um, food ingredients company yep. is looking for... Um, he already realises he's got a problem that he needs to fix, which yeah. is usually the case where people start. Starts doing his research, usually we'll hit an upon piece of content. Our podcast, maybe. Potentially. Yeah, could do that. Why not? Um, he could download our ex- exhibition guide. He could yeah. download something that we've 
we've done, but maybe the new knowledge. Maybe. Maybe, maybe it's that subtle point. <laughs> yeah, that's like like a it. subtle approach. But my, my point is, is modern day B2B is sold to without being sold to because it's more of in a consultative, helping, yeah. not selling type of way. No, very, very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. And I think something you'll hear me champion and, and, uh, and bang on about a lot is, you know, Myself and, uh, and and you, Chris, both works in sales. Mm-hmm. Are familiar with a lovely classic sales funnel. Um, so kind of moving them through the awareness, consideration, evaluation, through to purchase. That that process is not as linear as it used to be now. So no. if that's your pro- if your marketing and your sales activities buy people down a classic funnel and you're still talking in those terms, you're so out of touch. So in the sense of now, you've got to be thinking of the new sales journey in that non-linear sales funnel way, which is the way I'd always approach it. And there's some great diagrams and lovely images you can find online that kind of bring this to life. But, you know, as you go on about a lot, a lot of touch, it's touch points with your brand, touch points with that company and touch points with bringing the brand story to life. And not only that, but the consistency and the authenticity of the stories that's told no matter where they're found online. So it could be social. I think, I think the consistency is key because I Absolutely. think a lot of brands get that wrong across various channels, don't they? Well, I think they can they, they put, place a lot of focus in one area. Maybe the website is an example back in the day where the website's their, mm. their shop window and they're all singing, all dancing and champion kind of look at what their brand feels like but then social media is ad hoc and, and maybe not consistent with the messaging um, but you're talking now the, the non-linear sales when it involves a lot of peer referrals and it can involve a lot of advocacy it could be sales reps it could be events it could be no matter where they meet you a lot of that is helping them validate their decision to work or buy from you and they will bounce in and around that funnel a lot it's not a linear process so, so do you think that companies I know we cover a little bit of this in, in the talks, don't want to spoil it too much for the people who, who watch it, and you can be able to watch it back on the webinar, if, if not anyway, uh, post-show. Mm-hmm. But do you think that the... I, I see a lot of... And I, you know we, I quote this statistic all the time, and, and, and what my biggest frustration with the modern B2B company, if you like, mm-hmm. is they're not omnichannel. They ignore yeah. YouTube, which is probably the biggest... Well, set this at the second biggest search engine in the world. Yeah. Um, they ignore it and they don't they don't that. use it at, at all. But I think that that then ties into the modern B2B buyer. When you're defining the modern B2B buyer, you've got to think about the age groups that you're including in that. And I think a lot more of the modern B2B buyers now, you're talking about millennials. You're to, you will be talking in a few years, if you're not already, about the Gen Zers of the world. So mm. the generational differences and the preferences and how people want to interact and how people use social media and how they want to engage with your brand is changing and evolving on a daily basis. But you can't dismiss it because you do it. You like to do it. So it's not about you, the individual. It's not about how you like to be marketed to. You've got to think about who are the decision makers and who are the people with the purchasing power to invest and buy from your brand or company. And for me, the longer that goes on, the younger those generations are getting. Unless you're evolving your routes to market and your processes and your procedures around that, you're, you are definitely losing market share and rapidly falling behind. I was speaking to a lady who came to one of my networking groups sure. who said she got 57% of her leads through LinkedIn, mm-hmm. through high-value educational content through LinkedIn, sometimes targeted at, a right, at the right target market. Yeah but more educating the market. And she found that she was getting referrals from people who weren't even in her market. So it was, say, for example, you're not in her market. She would refer you to somebody that 
might be a next door neighbor, it might be a husband who works in food and nutrition or whatever it might be. Yeah. And she's gone, Oh, I do I listen to this guy on, on online or I've seen a podcast about about that subject that yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. And she finds she gets a lot of th- sort of third party referrals through LinkedIn because of the content that she puts out. But it's I think not- again if you look how LinkedIn's changed re- recently I would say, mm. if you agree in the last sort of six to twelve months, it's because the more younger generations are now starting to embrace LinkedIn, but they're using it in a different way. Yeah. The, the platforms had to catch up. It's had to change the way you can put posts out, the way you can interact, the way you can do live um, live posts on LinkedIn these days. So everything's evolving, but it's to cater for that. LinkedIn's evolving to cater for the modern B two B buyer. Who do they want to use it? So the demand generation, these guys that are insisting to work in a certain way, everything's having to adapt to cater for their needs. Yeah. And there, was, there was a stat today, and I can't I can't find it at the minute. I was just trying to find it then on my phone while you were chatting. Was um, in relation to the volume of new people signing up to LinkedIn and the age profile of them and they're all millennial gen zers coming on board which are forcing the tide of activity of how people want to engage and use that platform so maybe more people are using it and there probably are more leads to go around on it but i think for a lot of people of my generation and maybe yours there's a little bit of skepticism that was building in with linkedin if it was just a cheap not cheap i didn't say that was expensive but a crappy sales tool it's it was, all, it, you're getting laid in with crappy business yeah. approaches and really if you if you dared accept anybody's invitation request it was just somebody trying to sell you something i mean you still get that you still get that and, and i think yeah. people have got to be conscious of but they're the people that are using it terribly. Yeah, terribly they're the people that are trying to force people down a classic funnel and they're the people that are totally have got the mismatch between the buyer's process and the sales process of you know okay matt smith i want to connect with you i click accept do you want to buy wealth management from me yeah do straight, you want to buy, account- sales, do you want to buy to accountancy sales. services from me? Do you want to buy digital services from me? I've not, one, I don't know who you are. Two, and if you've got Guru or Jedi in your job title, I definitely don't want to know who you are. But, <laughs> but all these things obviously encourage you down a certain way of thinking about it. And for me, that, that, that is a, a classic example of a mismatch. Yeah. And how many clients have we had that recently that send out a white paper or even a press release or a blog or whatever piece of content it is Somebody downloads it or dares look at it. And you get a phone call. You get a phone call, you get an email. Do you want to buy this from us? Do you want to buy yeah. that from us? Do you want to, do I, want, it's, that's, it, that's crazy. Yeah. I think, again, going back to the touch point perspective, especially in the B2B marketplace, the buying cycle is so, especially for some of the bigger ticket items, some of the decision-making that has to be changed within the bigger businesses for them to make their mind up to change product or service, whatever it might be, it, it's... You can't just get that in. You can't get but any you've decision. you've got to educate them, engage with them, and get them emotively bought into your brand, products, or services. Yeah. You can't just you can't just instantly take somebody out on a date and, and take them to bed before you've even opened your mouth and had a conversation with them. And that, that's literally how it feels on LinkedIn for me a lot of the time. But this, do you want a conversation? Salesforce had a stat recently that 82% of B2B buyers want the same experience from their companies as when they shop for themselves. So... If you think, I always use the analogy of booking a holiday. I don't know how you book, how do you book a holiday these days? Well, usually, I usually know where I'm going. Okay, okay. Like, it's very rare that Because you've been somewhere before? Or recommended. So somebody's somebody's recommended you to you. Okay, so that's a peer recommendation, you'd say, at that point. Then what, you go online, you price check, you do some, do you read any any reviews? Definitely read reviews. So you go on reviews, you're reading reviews, you're reading some kind of advocacy pieces there already about that kind of holiday recommendation. I I usually go on TripAdvisor, look at the reviews. Yep. Um, at what rest, what nice restaurants and bars around the, the area? Again, you're reading, you're reading reviews probably. I yeah, would yeah, imagine yeah, 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 websites, yeah. looking at all those kind of things. Exactly. I mean, I do a, before I book a holiday. I've done a shed load of research. But it's the same principle. Oh, yeah. What I mean for me, evolving into the B two B landscape at the minute that 
you've done most of the legwork yourself. Yeah, yeah. Now that is that is wholly dependent on you being able to find that content. Mm. So if you're booking a holiday and you want to go to a certain restaurant while you're there, that's dependent on the one, that restaurant having an engaging website that you can find. Yes. Two, having content reviews on there that actually people are actually telling them on, whether it's on um, whatever, whatever website, whatever, whatever review website they're on that they feature. Maybe it's that they've um, got some Google reviews, whatever it could be. Content will shape your message. If you can't find them, you'll yeah, know about it. I, I say to everybody and, and anyone who's, who's listening to the podcast that everybody has a buying cycle. Yeah. It's just whenever you can catch that person in the buying cycle. And, and that's why the content that you, you put out there, the more high value content that's relevant to your buying, to the, that your buying cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, we talked about before when we were yeah. talking about the talk that we're doing is best content you can get obviously salespeople like as they speak to mm-hmm. the um all the prospects that they're going out to so my first thing is speak to your salespeople look at what objections they are getting as salespeople and write content around it because that's the answers that people are searching for online yeah um look at your long form um searches through your seo and see and, and write blogs and content around the long form searches because you might only get, I don't know, twenty searches a month on a particular long long tail yeah. search form. Yeah, but yeah. That would be a high conversion, high conversion. But I, th- I think I think that one of the biggest points is what you said earlier in terms of stop selling. Yeah, and start helping. Yeah. Yeah, but to start putting content out there that people can engage with and educate themselves about your products and services. So this comes onto a whole different argument. Then you get into around um, gated content. So the big, 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 big thing in B two B. What's your view on gated content then? Now, oh, I probably come at it from a different angle. So I usually do most things with these things. But when I, when I joined the world of B two B and B D B, everything's everything's gated. Everything's got a call to action on it. But the call to action's gated. So if you want to download a report, you've got you've got to give something back. And it's all about a transaction taking place. That if you want something, you've got to give me something. That that it doesn't work with the younger generations. So there's a stat. So I'm doing a forestry report that. 82% of millennials and Gen Zers refuse to fill in a or, or, or fill it in with false information. Right, yeah. Which is just as bad as Which it. is just as bad. So they either refuse to fill it and it turns them off that they don't they refuse to give it and move away from the piece of content they were engaging with. Mm. So it's time to maybe drop drop the gates and accept and open it up to the public and uh, your potential buyers of the content that you've got available. Because if you are genuinely trying to help. educate them, help and add value, why would you gate it? Well, I think the only reason people do gate it is from a tracking purposes. If you've gated it and you put your email address in, well, it, you, can, you can you can then track it onto it, your automation it, it software. Is, but then, to the same extent, I argue it's fear. Yeah. If you've got the right content hitting the right people at the right time, they should want to buy from you. No, I agree. But it's a confidence thing. I appreciate that. So, oh no, but that's what I'm saying. I think a lot of businesses to take that leap of faith is a, is a big leap of faith. But like you said, if you've got if you've got the right content, eventually that content will come good. You, you hope, well, well, but but in terms of, I, I totally get it. If you're under pressure, your marketing budget's under pressure. You um, you can't justify your return on investment quite as well, because how do you know what content's working, not working, so to speak? Because if it's not gated, you don't know if people are downloading it, reading it. Who knows? Because you know if they were downloading it, wouldn't you? Other ways of tracking yeah. it. But you get my point. Yeah. You're not you're not collecting any data. No. What I would argue with a lot of people is, what do many people do with the data they collect anyway? Yeah. Um, it either gets lost in the ether or they ring them up and say, do you want to buy something from me at touch point one? And then you turn people off completely yeah. unless you drop very lucky. I mean, there is other ways of tracking stuff through pixels and um, making sure you've got the, the right Google Analytics stuff put in. Sure. Um, 
you know you can still track potential buyers that way and retarget them through yeah. through other other means. It's just that you won't have a direct one-on-one marketing relationship with you. But like you say, that is what's turning people off these days. Oh, definitely, hundred percent, one hundred percent. I think it is for me. I think, but I think say you tend to get it, and no doubt we'll touch on it more at the presentation. That I think there is an air of complacency in B two B that people think, well, that's not me. That's not our buyer. And I think you've got to ask yourself a question, how much do you know about your potential market or your potential buyer these days and think about what they want from that marketplace and what they demand in terms of content? Well, I think demand is the the key thing for me because mm-hmm. that's when you look at, what is it, 10.3 billion searches that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Why, they, do, you, why do you think it is, in, I won't jump around a bit, but why do you think it is in B2B that more people don't embrace YouTube as a channel then? Because I guarantee because you, it's scared, we, it's scary. we've got nearly 40 people in the team here and pretty much everybody, I would say under the age of 30, well, that's doing other disservice. But I mean, it, the bulk of the team are almost watching YouTube like TV these days. Every day. But they're, but they're all saying well, it, haven't they? The, 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 the reason why people bulk away, not only from, the content is the biggest, the biggest thing that people bulk away from. Not just YouTube, you know, your white papers, your, your big educational pieces, um, podcasts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a fair thing, I think, because what you have to then be, start to become, and I mentioned it to you when I started working at BDB, is you're not just a marketing agency anymore. You are a publisher, yep. and you are you, you have your own magazine, which is why we started the knowledge, and yep. we're on, on with that, which is why we started our all ungated content, all ungated content, and we started our own podcast. But trying to make our, our customers take that step is a lot harder because you one you've got to get someone who's comfortable in the podcast sure. planet out and, and 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 also there's not an immediate return on investment on it it's not a it's not a get rich quick scheme in terms of what where that content's going to go it will be a slow drip over yeah. 3 6 months you know you're not going to be number 1 in iTunes straight away you're not going to get 10,000 views on YouTube but do you think I, any of it in B2B is linked to the fact that B2B I think quite often in the kind of corporate communications and wider communications look for perfection yes just an observation that I've had. Well, well what, what, what will happen is it is a typical um, thing that would happen with a, a big multi um, con- conglomerate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can't say it. Conglomerate. Conglomerate. Um, it'd have to go through 10 decision making channels yep. to even get put up, and then it'd have to get sense checked. And it would have to, and, and before that, you've, you've lost the, the you know, content has to be relevant at the time it has to be newsworthy sometimes yeah. you know if you if you're going up through 10 chains of command to get checked to make sure that goes out okay mm-hmm. you're gone yeah. you know it's, it's you've lost the emphasis on it and also the the fun and enjoyment of doing it now don't get me wrong when you're writing content it's probably a little bit different oh, so spelling I, mistakes no, all that kind of stuff i, I get that no, absolutely that 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 requires perfection and yeah that's the skill in, in, in the art of doing it but i do think in terms of this more reactive pieces podcasts pieces to camera talking heads videos you, you can you can execute them so quick with a technology and kit that's out there at very affordable oh, yeah. prices these days and one of the biggest things for me has been getting my head around it won't be perfect yeah um the videos that we've shot that have gone out as part of the Vita Foods campaign, they're not perfect. Could I do them better? Absolutely. Yeah. But but we did them and not many other people are doing them. And the podcast are they, is this perfect? Absolutely not. No. But it's but what we but are we're human though, aren't we? That's that, that's well, I think, I think that's what that people buy people, brand, though, people buy that more more mm-hmm. because we're human and I think that's what the modern B two B buyer wants. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and that's what they are demanding now. You know Again, statistics will, will say that, but just going back to your original question of why you think B2B, 
I don't think the B2B market knows how big YouTube is in terms of searches and what people search on. Because when you go into a, if someone came to, to a, or went to a normal agency for an SEO and PPC campaign, yeah. for argument's sake, yeah. they'll never look at YouTube. No. Ever. No, no. So they're not saying, well, why are you doing any advertising? Sorry, I'm, I'm doing disservice to a few other, a few select agencies out there, including us. You would, of course, we'd look at YouTube. Of course, we'd look at search terms of what people have searched on YouTube. Mm. You know, like, and it's so different to Google because yeah. people are very, very more descriptive on how they search for things. A lot of it's long-term searches, um, and believe it or not, Google has its own SEO. How you, you can't just put up a video; it's sure. you have to make sure you tag it right, make sure it's exactly the same as anything else. So it's almost an art which people don't look into, and they know agencies know that there's easier money earned from SEO and PPC having to get that client to, to uh, put a content plan together for YouTube. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I still think LinkedIn is, and I'm going, going back to what you were saying before, is massively still underused by... Oh, by not, not, I think more... Using it in the right way. Everything yeah. comes back to that. It, these tools are great, and these platforms are fantastic, and they give you the ability to segment audiences and drill down and target your information to certain audience groups if that's what you're, you're trying to achieve. People are still using it in a machine gun bang content out. Ticking boxes. Yeah, and generally, generally, I guarantee you, it's a, it's a LinkedIn ad. Yeah. Drive somebody to a landing page with some kind of gated call to action, with some kind of gated content. Yeah. And, you know, one of the big things we were talking about earlier was kind of the, the whole thing around like conversation, not capture. So stop trying to capture people because they don't want that. They don't want to feel that. They want to keep their anonymity. If that's a word I always struggle to say, never mind on a podcast. But people want that anonymity around who they are these days. They don't want to give their information away. So I want to throw another curveball at you now. And you know you've, I've banged on about this and BDB have got a channel coming on it uh, soon. So watch out. It's third biggest social media channel is WhatsApp. Yep. So we've had this discussion on yeah. previous podcasts yeah, no, about, about I now use WhatsApp more than my email. So I, I consume video content yeah. and news yeah. through WhatsApp. Yeah, absolutely. And the open rates, by the mind, are 96%, compared to email, yeah. which are between 5% and 10%. So it, our, 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 if we could, but obviously we can't through GDPR at the moment, mm -hmm. but... We, for example, met everyone at Vitafoods and they agreed to go on our knowledge yep. WhatsApp channel. Absolutely. We'd have a better engagement level but because the, of but WhatsApp. But that, again, that's helping, not selling. That's giving yeah. somebody some engaging, regular, drip-fed content of relevance to that individual. So yeah. on that, on that, but you're asking people to subscribe to it. You're not yeah. asking somebody to give them your data. It's no. more of a, you're hopefully just, just giving them information. And at some point, if something resonates with them and they want to engage with you in a further conversation, great. Yeah. But at no point with any kind of WhatsApp group or kind of broadcast list can you ever make it into a sales strategy. No. If you, you The day you bang out a message going, we've got a hot offer on this month and we want to work with you. Forget about it. It's gone. So that's a, for, me, for me, I think there's, there's something in this that we, we, you know, we're looking at it, we're, we're seeing what we can do with it and trying to do it in a, in a quirky fashion, something different like we always do. But to the same extent of, yeah, it's a massive untapped opportunity. And you know, I've seen other people get it right and do it well. Um, but again, it's another, it's another channel that I think is only going to continue to grow. But I think they're going back to, again, how the modern B2B buyer or the modern buyer I'm going to call it yeah. B2B or B2C consumes content True. I will look at Twitter 
differently than what I'll look at YouTube and what I'll look at WhatsApp and I consume media so different. So I think it's important to, when we're speaking to B2B, B2B um, customers, who are listening to this is, you've got to have a persona for each, you've got to have a red red tape that goes for it, no, but you have to have a persona for each channel, you have to have to look at how you use each channel and you've got to be consistent which is the main thing but I think that but I think that's having that kind of omni-channel um, multi-strategic multi element to a campaign because mm. you can't you, you consume data differently to what I do you consume content differently to what I do I know, I know we do because we chat about it so yeah. in a sense of and we're a similar age so in the sense of how, how, how do people even account for that the differences you've got even there that those nuances within an age bracket that's probably quite you know would be grouped together mm. so you, having that kind of multi or omni-channel multi-touch experience where no matter where they find you you can cater for different kind of audiences and your content's got to be diverse or you've got to know with a laser focus the type of individual that you want to engage with and influence um, if it gets broader than that as I say it's more for me than about the consistency and authenticity the communication and putting content out there that is genuinely trying to help people um, or own the conversation on a more um, thought leadership level, uh, maybe beyond, way beyond selling what you sell or doing what you do. Is that why account-based marketing comes into its own? Because it is a lot more of a personal... I think with the whole theme of personalization and people wanting to feel like they're getting a personal experience from buying from anybody, um, ABM therefore comes to the forefront. But, you know, you know my opinion on ABM. ABM ultimately is just targeted sales at the end of the day and grouping people into different pots of well, I think that, work with. I think the argument though I always find with ABM um, it does make marketing and sales work closer together because you, oh, it doesn't, hugely, it doesn't, hugely work, sorry, doesn't yeah. work without it no hugely you've, you've got to get the two departments working together they're absolutely codependent to get an ABM strategy to work properly um, what I mean is in the sense of is it, is it something new absolutely not no it's just an old strategy evolved by modern technology do you know what I think that, that's a great great way of putting it it is an old very old, <laughs> a very old, uh, <laughs> exactly but, but it is massively evolved by modern technology mm -hmm. and the fact that I think GDPRs give people a good opportunity because you have to try different things. GDPRs uh, making people work harder, isn't it? It's making people think of different ways to get in touch with people. And more creative ways. More creative ways to get in touch with people. It's nice to see old school DMs, but really nice personalised yeah. appropriate DMs coming back out. Um, you know, for some people, I'm sure they never went away, but for a while, everybody jumped on a digital bandwagon and actually received something tangible in your hands that kind of looked nice, felt nice, and kind of brought brought a brand to life. It was kind of a bit unheard of, and uh, I think we're seeing a bit more of a return to that when you've got a, a small pool of people. Each yeah, and I think well. like for, like for us, getting out, speaking more, yeah. and again, that comes around to content yeah. and and how we're going to be speaking to a group of, what, 50 to 100 people who yeah. are our target market. Yeah, sure. And that is an ABM in its essence, if you if you, if you you looked at it that way, it's kind of a target. But at no point are we selling. No, exactly. So I'm saying, at no point are we selling. Everything, everything we've put out... It's an educate, all education. It's just trying to educate people, trying to take them on a little journey with us and hopefully get them showing some interest in, in uh, ourselves and the topics we're, we're speaking about. So, as I always do with uh, these podcasts to wrap up, what, what kind of tip would you give to our um, B2B potential customers, um, clients out there that don't work with us, that will be working with their agencies and we could give them some good tips, uh, and also potential people who are coming to, to the talk um, in terms of how you would deal with a modern B2B buyer? I think accept the non-linear sales process, accept there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to these kind of things. For me, um, 
conversation, not capture, as I said earlier. You've got to go down that route. You've got to go down that route in terms of stop gating your content. That's why people aren't downloading it, and that's mm. why you're not getting the kind of um, impact you're looking for. So for me, if, if you know, if there were two or three things you changed, um, and like I said earlier, the one that always makes me laugh is if your campaign is a LinkedIn ad going to a landing page with gated content, you're, you're way behind. You're way behind, yeah. Way behind. So, um, you know, if you're sat here listening to that thinking that's the last three campaigns I've done, then either let's chat or make sure you're at the uh, at the conversation that we're having at Vita Foods on May the 9th. My advice would be, like I said before, is every business out there has, has got to think of themselves as a publisher um, to educate the market on whether it's their products, whether it's around their products, whatever it is. Like we've, we're launching the knowledge, and the, all the knowledge is for is to educate um, our clients, our potential clients, our not none of our clients, mm -hmm. people who work with other agencies, it is genuinely out there just to educate the market on what's coming and how we can help, which is what we our, our thing is with the, with these podcasts as well. So um, thank you very much for joining us again tomorrow. Cheers. And, Enjoyed uh, it. Hope, hopefully we'll see everyone at Vita Foods. If not, um, hopefully we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you.